Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. Phil Wickham, who will be on the show Friday. Friday, you say? Yes, Friday, because That Sounds Fun Christmas Party for 2019 is 12 days of Christmas in a row, starting on Friday. I think you're going to love it. Make sure you grab Phil's album and check it out before you hear from him even on Friday. Today on the show is our good friend, Liz Bahannon. She's been on before. If you want to go back and hear it, that is episode 46. She's an OG around here. Her first book, It's Incredible, it's called Beginner's Pluck. In fact, our friend Seth Godin just listed it as one of his fall 2019 books to read, which is a huge deal. Liz is incredible, kind, brilliant, and her book, Beginner's Pluck, is just incredible. I think you're going to love it. So here's my conversation with our friend, Liz Bahannon. This is why my mom took me to the hearing doctor like three times when I was a kid because I just didn't stop yelling. And she was like, right. absolutely, there's no way this child could be so loud all of the time unless she's partially deaf. <laughs> and the doctors were like, oh, we're really sorry. <laughs> her hearing's like right. perfect. And my mom was like, oh, It's perfect. Lord. She just is. This is her. Yeah. And then, then I procreated somebody with the exact same problem. So funny how Oh, works. he, listen, both of your boys are so cute. Are you just obsessed all the time? You know, I don't want to say this out loud, but yes. Like, yes. And I can't figure out, I'm sure it's just normal mom bias, but I literally, and Will is adorable and I love him and he's so sweet, but he's one. So it's like, he's mm-hmm. a sweet, sweet baby that I love so much. Theo's sure. like a human who like has a personality and he has tendencies and I'm like, in a weird way. He like does things. Theo like does things. He does things. And I just feel like, and I'm not saying that he's perfect at all. Like he has his own issues, but we're so similar that I feel like I have so much empathy for his issues. (laughs) But I'm just like, I feel like I'm parenting like a tiny me. And again, he could grow into a very, very, he's only three. But, um, oh my gosh, I just feel like the ways in which he is, he's just my buddy. And I feel like we kind of see and operate in the world in a similar way. And it just kind of feels like God's kindness. But I'm like, you just gave me a little human that I understand. What does it mean when you look at your kid and you, and you know, he's just like you, like, give me examples. Cause I haven't procreated yet. So what does that mean? Um, his unawareness. <laughs> His lack of awareness for like, he is just who he is. He gets, he's like, feels such big feelings. He gets so excited. And when he's excited about something like literally last night we were at a party, which by the way, he lives and dies for parties. It's just like all he wants. The other day we had spent all day at the beach with our friends and um, when they left, he was like, can we go, can we go to the front door to wave them goodbye? And I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so we go to the front door. He waves at them just, you know, until they disappear. And then he looks at me and he goes, well, it's just kind of a bummer. It's going to be really quiet now. Uh, <laughs> and I, go, I was like, hey, buddy, how does that make you feel? And he goes, just really sad, mom. I just, I'm really happy when everything is so loud. Oh, <laughs> That's going to, you know, that's going to happen to me too. There's like not a question that I'll get a kid just like that. And we were like at a party last night and he's like obsessed with food and I was cutting him a piece of pie and he literally is just jumping up and down screaming with the excitement that a piece of pie is coming. (laughs) It's just like he feels everything so 
big and he's very persistent. He like is, has this crazy inner life of like the most wild imagination, but he's like constantly wanting to bring other people into it. So he's like, constantly directing people like you're this like Uh you're an eel and we're in the ocean and there's lava and the other day I was witnessing him playing with a little friend and he was like you're this and you're that and his little friend looks up to him and he goes Theo I just want to be Davy that's the little girl's name I just want to be me and Theo just like looks at her like so confused like wait what he just looks uh-huh. at her, makes eye contact, and then turns to someone else. Is like, okay, then you're the fire eel, and you're the right, eel, right. You're that. And anyway, it's he's a trip, and he's like just one of my favorite people on the planet. And I can't believe that I get to be his mom. What is it like for your husband to live with two of you? <laughs> That's a good question. Here's the thing: Ben and I are more similar than different. So uh-huh. we do not exist in this like marriage or world where there's like the opposites thing where, and so there are right. parts of Theo that are like super reflective of Ben too. So in our house, it isn't actually like he's a mini me. It's more like, okay. oh, obviously these two people made this human. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. There's more like shared responsibility because Ben is like <laughs> a very big personality too. And he also feels very big feelings. Like we're just a big, big, big feeling family. Yes. Like we realized that um, when Theo was like 18 months old, we could not get him to understand like no or like discipline. And one of the things that we realized is that like when we tried to be kind of stern with him and we would like raise our voice, he would just start smiling and like clapping. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> and we realized like, oh my gosh, he associates loud voices with like, we're having fun and we're like <laughs> excited until like, we had to really change our tactic. And like when we would like discipline him, get like, in like in his face for it to like change because we just realized like anything that was like kind of chaotic, kind of loud, kind of big. He was like, oh yeah, this is, we're having a party. This is awesome. (laughs) And we were doing the opposite. We were only encouraging behavior. So anyway, it's, yeah. So I think for, it, it feels more of like, he's like the duh production of like the two of us together than it does like a mini Liz. Yeah. Oh, that makes me really happy. Will you say, what's the thing, the mantra that he says every night? Well, we have a couple, but one, um, are you talking about the like little family benediction? Uh Uh-huh. So in bed at night, we say, I'm not what I have, what I do, or what people say. I'm a child of God and no one can take that away. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less or more. I don't have to hurry or worry. Jesus settled the score. I can rest in the love of my heavenly father and mother and let my courage and kindness be a gift to others. Did you write that? It's based off of um, Jefferson Bethke wrote yeah. a version of like a family benediction for his family. And he posted it online. I don't know. feels like it was a long time ago. And so I took that as like the basis yeah. And then made it one. I don't think it rhymed, and I really struggled with that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The rhyming helps so much. I was like, we need this to rhyme. And then there was just some other things that I kind of wanted to add in or tweak to make yeah. it more reflective of our family's beliefs. So it was. It's kind of based on what he wrote for his family, but um, we made it. We made it for ours. But man, there is something so powerful about your. There have just been nights, you know, like for everybody, where it's like I'm putting the kids to bed, and I am laying in bed with him and the weight of the world 
feels like it's on me and I'm struggling yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm having anxiety about something or I'm feeling like I don't measure up or I'm worried about what somebody's going to do or not do. And to hear like the voice of my three-year-old, not who doesn't even know that, you know, yeah. like with his head resting on my shoulder, just absolutely speaking truth back to yes. me is so powerful and has just been like one of the greatest gifts. Like to have your kid look at you and say like, you're not what you have, what you do or what people say. Like we know that mom. I don't have to hurry up. What's that light again? I don't have to hurry up. I don't up. have to hurry or worry. Jesus hurry settled worry. the score. When I like saw him, because you posted a video of him saying it on Instagram. And I just, I think I even told you that day, but I was like so moved by it. And he's not my kid, but to, but to hear a child say, I don't have to hurry or worry. <laughs> I was <It's> like, just... <laughs> the ability She's for so children sweet. to believe things so deeply and then bring them back. Like, you know, cause it's like, I obviously believe that that's truth, but the nature of life is that there's moments where I don't live as if I believe that's truth. Right. And having this little person who reminds me of that. We also, um, we have a, a whole section from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that we say together every night. What? And What is that? Can yeah. you say it? Oh, I'm sure you can. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely can. Wrong will be right when Aslan's in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, it will be spring again. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this absolute grounding like force and just like the majesty and the bigness of the story that we get to be a part of. And this idea that it's like, you know what, it's going to be hard. And we're experiencing things in this life that we, uh, that are just like a result of this like broken world that we live in. But oh my gosh, we get to be a part of the story that we know that in the end, like there will be justice and there will be restoration and that our sorrows, you know, will be no more. And that we'll be in the presence of of the great one. And it's just, I think it's been one of my greatest joys in mothering and parenting is like the work of articulating, like, what do we actually believe? And then having that spoken back to you in times where you're like, I needed the voice of a three-year-old to bring me back home. Yeah. What made you and Ben decide that y'all would memorize things like that and have it be such a important mantra in y'all's family life? That's a good question. I wish I could tell you it was like more intentional. I think just the idea, I'm I'm very big on the stories that we tell ourselves uh-huh. and uh, just like mindset in general. Like I am so passionate about like everybody tells themselves a story. We tell thousands of stories a day, why that person did something, why they looked at me this way, why I'm feeling this way, why I wasn't right. successful in this thing, why right. I was successful over here. And so I think the idea of just like implanting these broader stories, like through poems, through poet, you know, through poetry, through verse, through language, so that those are the things that we are like accessing. If if we have memorized them, they are like these these recallable things, and I I think that they help like shift the stories that we tell ourselves. And mm-hmm. and, I, and so I'm very adamant. Like if you don't, if you're not intentional about the story you're telling yourself, your lizard brain, so your limbic yes. system, which is like fear and, and you know, fight or flight, basically, like it will do the work for you. Like you yeah. can't be a human that doesn't create those stories. And so just feeling like it's yet another way that we can kind of, um, yeah, just like as a family and as we raise our kids, make sure that they know the truest version of the story about who they were, who God is, who they were created to be in the world. And um, also it's very cute to hear tiny people recite things. (laughs) How do you do that for yourself now? Like 
What are the stories you've stopped telling yourself and stories you've started telling yourself, even around your book launch for Beginner's Pluck? Like, what are stories you've had to tell and untell yourself? Oh, my gosh, Annie, this process has been like, if you are someone who thinks you have a good handle on like who you are, what you were made to do, and like your inherent worthiness, uh-huh. you should go try to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the writing the book. It's the releasing the book that'll really totally. get you, right? Well, I, I experienced two very different seasons. Like, yeah. The Even getting it out of me, in the beginning, I experienced a lot more self-negativity than I thought I would. Uh I had a very strong voice in the beginning that was just like, who on earth do you think you are? Like, Uh what on earth do you have to offer to somebody else that could be valuable? Like, a lot of discounting kind of my own story and perspective. And I think for me, it was born a lot out of this question of like, my privilege and kind of this uh-huh. sense of like, how do I write this story in a way that acknowledges the the privilege that I just came into the world with based off yes. of my skin color, where I grew up, what language I speak. Mm. And for a long time, my story uh, was that the fact that I have privilege makes my story not valuable. And I oh, wow. really had and to And what do is a lot your privilege? Of- what would you define that as? Because you're a white woman? Yes, because I'm what? a white woman who grew up in like a middle class home and went to good schools and had access to education and, um, you know, predom- like I, I would say I exist in a lot of majority culture. Like I'm oh, white. I identify okay. as a Christian. I'm American. I speak English as my first language. Um, and so I had to do a lot of work around acknowledging like that does not negate that you don't have a story um, mm-hmm. and that your story is valuable. And that was oh that was like a lot like my self-talk was like pretty noxious in the early days of writing the book and then I really do feel like I got to this point where I'm like I you know I think I I listened to a podcast I can't remember that was all about kind of this idea of like write write what you know and I was like well this is my Mm -hmm. life and this is my story and this is what I know and I can acknowledge it and we can have thoughtful conversation around it but that doesn't mean that nothing I do or say Mm -hmm. or any thought that I ever have doesn't have value Mm -hmm. um and also that, like, that's not what this book is about. Like, I can't write, like, I could write an entire book right. about my privilege. And that isn't necessarily what this specific book is. And so really, like, wrestling through my responsibility with that. That right. was really hard. And then I got yeah. over it. And then it was, like, actually writing the book was so fun. Like, such an amazing intellectual challenge of, like, and I'm sure you've experienced this, that I was, like, so afraid of, I was afraid of writer's block. And what I found was just, like, how do you you know, 60,000 words actually isn't that much when you think about a lifetime of like things right, <laughs> that you've experienced right. and like stories and truths. And so the like paring down of like what, but what is this story? What is this mm-hmm. like body of work? What are the main points? You know, there's a thousand stories that you can't tell when you write a book. And there's a thousand right. things that you believe that it actually doesn't make sense to talk about that in this book. And that the and challenge that's hard, of, isn't it? so difficult. Oh my gosh, this book would have been 10,000 million words. Like I know. And and so the intellectual challenge of really like being strategic about picking and choosing and that, you know, how I was trying to, it's the story of, I use the story of me starting my socially conscious fashion brand Seiko as the like narrative backdrop. So it was like, I had kind of this story that I needed to tell for it to make sense. But then how do you layer over these principles and these truths in a way that feels like, 
consistent and organic and that there's like flow. Anyway, I just loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was crazy. I like had a newborn and <laughs> I, I right. shared that with you. It was like a very crazy season of life. And then you're done with it. And then you're like, okay, oh my gosh, I did this awesome, amazing thing. And then you have to launch it. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, you have to tell different. people about it. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to sell it. And you're like, oh. and I've been, you know, like I've been running on my own company for 10 years. Like, it's not like I'm some like artist who lives in an attic who just wants to like write poetry and then right. like, I know how to you know, and then it's like all of a sudden right 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 but man marketing a book and there and like then yourself is very different than like marketing yeah. a product or your company yes. I found it's yes. a lot more vulnerable in a lot of ways because it's like really? oh yeah because it's like you know if you don't buy this amazing leather purse that I designed and that my company made and that's making this incredible impact in the world there's a million reasons you might not, you might not need a purse right now. Like it might might not be your style. Like there's just like, there's a lot of buffer. Mm -hmm. And then it, this feels like personal. It's not quite as personal. It's not quite as personal. I think I probably would have said it was, you know, 10, five years ago. And now (laughs) I'm like, five days ago. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, But with a book it is, it's like, if somebody doesn't like it, that's me. Like those are my uh, thoughts and my yeah. truest, most sacred stories and the lessons that have been so hard won for me over the last 10 years. And a lot of the mentalities and mindsets that I cultivated over the last decade that have brought so much purpose and uh, joy and direction to my own life. And so the idea of someone not valuing that or yeah. having bad thoughts about it is feel a lot scarier that it's just like, Oh, those are, that's me. That, that's my brain yeah. in 60,000 words on paper, you know? Yes. Um, and so that, yeah, that's scary. I admire you so much and everybody uh, else who like actually makes an entire living doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the easy thing that is true is that beginner's pluck is incredible. And so it's very oh. easy. People, I mean, I loved it. And I think it's just one, it's an easy want for people. So you have that going for you. But so then tell me now that the book is released, what stories are you, like what mantras are you saying to yourself about what it looks like to have a book out in the world? The mantra that I am telling myself is that um, my job is to do the, the work that is put in front of me with the most care and intention and excellence that I possibly can to be faithful to the work. So whether that's in writing the book, whether that's in marketing it, selling it, who I'm talking to about it, how I'm talking to about it, how much work I'm putting towards it. Um, Like my focus is like the input is my responsibility. The output, that's the Lord's work. That it's like where it goes and whose hands it ends up in. And I think, you know, uh, several nights ago I was, just like kind of struggling with this, uh, this idea of just like, you know, the reach and how, you know, all all the stuff I know that you've dealt with before, is it going to hit the list? Is it not? And you know, who's going to see it? And the Lord just so clearly put the parable of the lost sheep on my heart. And I just had this moment that I'm like, what if all of this, the writing and the labor and the fear and the vulnerability and the exhaustion, like what if it was for one person? Like, what if there is one person out there that in their world right now, in this moment, whether it's in a time of transition or they're feeling stuck or 
overwhelmed or scared. And for whatever reason, it's my story and my voice and the way that I'm going to say things that is going to um, touch them in a different way and kind of help them come home to themselves. And I'll be honest, my first thought was like, oh, heck no. Like, you know, I'm a business person and my ROI on the hundreds of hours that I've put into this, like mm -mm, for one person. And then I just felt like I heard the Lord saying like, yeah, but my, my economy doesn't work that way. Like, that's not how I operate. And just thinking like, but like, you know, we literally have the scripture that tells us like, God chases after the one like that, that literally. And then I just started weeping and I was like, literally, there might be somebody out there that like God would use hundreds and hundreds of my hours and my time and my, you know, every pouring everything out. Like he would do that. He would do that and go after one person and in God's economy. Like that's a win. That makes a ton and then of sense, right? All of a sudden, my all of my fervor and my fever about numbers and about sales and about marketing and about you know lists and acknowledgement, like it's all just kind of like, okay, if that's how God wants to do this, He will. Yeah. But like yeah. maybe not. And right. uh, that kind of like changes everything. And and you know the book is it's been amazing to see it is out there and like that it's beyond already I mean, my nuts. wildest yes. imagination and just knowing like, okay, God's going to, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. Yeah. You know? and, and my responsibility is to be faithful with the output and then to be trusting or excuse me, faithful with the input and then just like trusting and at peace with the output. Man, that has to feel true with this book and with Seiko and with your kids and with your health of your mm, body. I mean, yeah. all we can do is be faithful to the input and trust God with the output. I have never thought of it in those terms, but that is that is all we can do. Absolutely. Yep. And the, the amount of peace, I would say, that that gives me, because it's not like a, well, let go and let God. You know, right. it's not, I, I am so, and I'm so, so careful, especially because I'm a woman, especially I'm a woman in business. Like I have felt so much shame from other women who I don't think mean it at all, but basically it's like the idea that if you're working your butt off towards something, you're not trusting God enough that it's like, Oh, just let it be. And I'm just like, okay, no, you might be called to just be a like peaceful monk who like bakes sourdough bread. And that is awesome. If that's like what God has called you to, like I truly believe that the Lord has put a huge vision in my heart and has said, girl run, like I will equip you, but I want you and I need you at least during this season. Like, you chasing after me is you in the posture of like running. (laughs) And so I am really careful to want to say like, I, I, this is not me saying like, oh, if you really trusted God, you would just like kind of do things mediocre and you would never be stressed and you would never experience anxiety and you would have really, really strong boundaries and you would never feel any (laughs) negative feelings, you know? You won't be sad at all. Totally. And instead, like, but this for me has given me a framework for thinking about the input of like excellence Mm. to pour myself out to the point where like, I have to have the Lord be my, he, he is my sustainer. And like, that is part of, I'm going in so many different directions. No, you're doing something. This is, you are doing exactly (laughs) what we do here. You know this, you've already done this. We're great. But like, I think it's part of my complaint about self-care culture, frankly, is Ah. that it feels like we are putting ourselves into a point where it's like, yeah, but if I am meeting 100% of my own needs and building these walls and taking care of myself and never pushing myself to the point of 
exhaustion or never fully emptying myself out because I've got all of these boundaries and rules and self-care and like a little bit of stress makes me like makes my radar go up and like I'm like I need to pull out I need to slow down like are we a little bit maybe not like allowing for the Lord to show up and to be the Mm -hmm. one who ultimately like sustains us and like I'm all for taking care of ourselves, but also what if God's saying like, right now I need you to pour out, keep pouring. Yeah. Right now I need you to work really hard and be okay. Yeah. Really hard and to do the thing and to take the risk. And like, I just find in myself that like, you know, okay. I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about this, but I'm going to, because, and you, you already know this, that I had an extreme disappointment recently in the last couple of days because we had an amazingly successful launch of the book. It was yes. so awesome. And, and the, an so unbelievable launch. In fact, I'm going to let you tell your disappointing story, but I do need you to hear that there is an author, a brand new author and a marketing person sitting in my podcast studio at the end of last week. And I was saying to them, you need to really set a goal for what success looks like for you. And the PR person goes, yeah, like Liz, uh, like Liz Bohanna did, where she set a goal for the first year and they hit it in the first week. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, 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 don't do that. Because that's not going to happen to anybody else. <laughs> but y'all literally set a goal for what you wanted, how many books you wanted in hands in the first year of its life. And it happened in a week. And it did. And it was like yes. so far beyond my imagination of what was possible and what could happen and to see it resonating with so many people. But it was such an absurdly big number that it really should have qualified us to hit a lot of the very exciting prestigious lists. And for a variety of reasons that we won't get into, it didn't. And I was devastated. Just like, so it, it felt like we got so close and then we lost on a freaking technicality. Like, are you kidding me? I literally got the email that, that it wasn't going to count. And then therefore I knew once the numbers didn't count that there was no chance we would, you know, hit these lists. And, um, I got it. Like I got this email literally right before I was supposed to walk on stage to emcee this huge event and just be like fun and happy and like bring up the energy, you know? And I had this moment. So I was devastated for like a full 24 hours. And then, oh my gosh, I had this moment where I was sitting in stillness because I just been, I'm, you know, like on tour and I'm speaking and I like don't have that much time to myself except on like planes and in airports. And I had this moment where I was like to experience such a visceral and acute sense of disappointment. Yeah. What a privilege. Because Mm. here's the thing. You don't get to experience that level of disappointment unless you let yourself hope. And unless you have a vision and you work your freaking butt off. And unless right. you run really hard and then are maybe arguably delusional enough to like see it and taste it and feel it and to get excited about what the Lord's going to do with that. And then to have it go whoop, right. and to be left with this like sense of not having that. Like I just was like, oh my gosh, what a treasure. How many people will go through life never having that vision and passion or frankly, the courage to allow yourself to hope for something. Yeah. And like, and I talk about, I have a whole chapter in the book called, um, don't hide from the shadows. And the whole concept is kind of like, you want to go out and build a life of purpose and passion, but actually what you're trying to do is keep yourself safe, safe from disappointment, safe from failure, safe from embarrassment, safe from humiliation, safe from stress, safe from anxiety. And like, I'm sorry, you don't get 
one without the other, like to experience deep satisfaction and deep joy and deep fulfillment in our work. I think we inherently have to open ourselves up to like deep disappointment and deep, you know, failure or deep humiliation, frankly, you know, where it's like I tried and then I fell short. But that's not humiliation. Well, I'm talking not about this. Okay. I was about to be like, sister, this is this is a fluke that would break every heart. Yes. But I'm saying I have been humiliated in the course of my this for very different reasons of like we set a goal and we failed or I made a mistake. And because of the nature of my work, I lead people. And so when I make a mistake, it's I can't hide, you know, like I have to deal with my stuff, all kinds of different things. Same, I know. Um, But all of those negative emotions, frankly, even in this is kind of more of the focus of the chapter of the book, like for those of your listeners who are like, I want to go make this, you know, I want to make the world a better place. Mm. But it's like, okay, go for it. I want to let you know, you are going to experience grief and darkness and evil in tragedy in ways that you have no idea. Like the world is so dark and there are so many corners of our world that the stories are going to literally rip you open. And Mm -hmm. I'm telling you go, because like that is where the Lord is. But man, do not walk into it saying like, oh, this is about like feeling really happy and being super fulfilled and having a ton of fun all of the time. Because that I believe is the bill of goods that we're being sold right now in our culture. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like, Mm -hmm. "Um, find your dream job and you'll never work another day in your life. Oh, don't you hate that line? When people say that, I'm like, I have literally never worked harder than I'm working today and tomorrow. And I'm in my dream job and I work so much harder and have my heart broken so much more than I ever would have dreamed of. And there's benefits and there's beautiful. I mean, we're not just saying that our jobs are terrible. Our jobs are awesome, but the best, but you. Like, but nobody knows going. Nobody knows going into this wh- how it's going to hurt. You can no see idea. all the ways you're going to get to win. You have no idea how you're going to lose. You have no idea. But man, it is so. But like at the end of the day, not only do I keep showing up, I'm like in in this book, I'm like trying to convince people to also show up, and then trying to teach yes. them how to do it. So it's like yes. I obviously believe that in the end. But I I just believe like that is we were created as humans. Like I believe in the depth of my soul that we were created to hold deep joy and deep sorrow. And that when we run away from one and when we are constantly protecting ourselves from all the negative things that we will by nature of that, like it, it could work and you can protect yourself from a lot of things. You will also start to build walls in your heart and in your life that will protect you also Mm -hmm from the beauty and like yes. from deep joy and from relationship and for, for intellectual transformation and all of the things and a deep, deep sense of like purpose. It's like on the other side, I get to wake up every freaking day of my life and say like, I'm doing something that matters. Like, and I'm yes. not doing something, I'm not, not making mistakes and I'm not, you know, like it's, it's not to say that they, I'm not failing at it at times and that there isn't a ton of stuff we could be doing better, but like to wake up and to earnestly get to say to yourself, and frankly, I've been doing this for a decade, like, and and it hasn't really changed that much. Like we've made some pivots and some iterations and, and the mission has really extended most recently, like more to how we're impacting and creating community for women here in the U S as well. And so that's kind of a whole different arm, but the reality is like the core of what I've been doing, I have been at it for 10 years and I feel more 
sold out and passionate about the purpose and our impact than I ever have. And to me, that is like this deep satisfaction that like I wasn't running off of the like, just like newbie feelings and idealism and like the stuff that will quickly kind of run out. And instead, I've been left with this kind of deep sense of like, we get to be co-creators in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Like what's the actual heck? And when you are living into that, oh, it's just, I feel like the, the privilege and the joy and the sense of fulfillment is immense, but it's also devastating <laughs> and disappointing and heartbreaking and all of the things. But I, think I felt, I mean, I, and I think this is the beauty. This is one of the beauties of our job is I know, you know, this, but I felt that with you so much when we were talking about it last week, I just, it is so heartbreaking and it is so at least we aren't alone when things like this break our hearts, you know, and isn't it the beauty that there's like, there, nothing is new under the sun. Like, it's just a matter of like, do you, are you going to reach out in your moments? For those of you that don't know, I, when this happened, I texted Annie and was like, Annie, (laughs) because I knew you're an author. And like, I knew that you've walked this road before and you were a friend that I knew would. And I even said this, I'm like, I have the best friends in the whole world. None of them are in this world. And so their empathy would be absolutely like, because they hate to see me sad, but like the logistics of all of it. And, you know, if you don't know, they don't know know. the questions to ask where I like, immediately was like, I went into like army sergeant mode. I was like, I need to see the email. I need to get some phone numbers. I have some things to do. I mean, I was like ready. (laughs) And I just want to let everybody know that this was an issue of like, it was ze- it was nobody's fault in anything. It was, it was literally fault. just like the industry is a weird thing and sometimes stuff works and sometimes it doesn't. And like, yep. it is it is absolutely And it's just important like- for people to know that New York Times, hitting the New York Times bestsellers list is not a numbers game. There are yes, tons correct. of factors with the people who decide who gets on that list. And so yep. it is not purely how many books got put in hands if it was just that, if it was just the book scan number, we would be having a whole different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. There's so. a lot that there's a lot that goes into the logistics. But the point right. is, it's like that is where we also I think it's, you know, I have a, a whole nother. <laughs> Am I going to be the annoying friend that just like quotes myself for the next 10 years no, because I wrote a book? It. <laughs> no, that is how but this I, goes. I wrote this chapter called Your Dream Attracts Your Team. And it's really flipping this whole notion upside down on our head of like how we build relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have this idea that in order to get people to like me, in order to connect with people, I need to be a giver. I need to show up for people. And let me say, there is absolute truth to that. Like you need to be the friend that you want to be, right? To create relationships and community. You cannot sit around waiting for other people. However, when we reach out to people in our brokenness and in our need, and we allow our cracks to show what I believe is happening is that in that moment, we are giving people permission to do the same. And that is actually yeah. how we build relationships in community. Like if you're constant, if all you're ever doing is showing up with what you have to offer, you are actually not giving people the permission mm-hmm. around you to be that 
phone call. Um, yes. You know, we, we can say That's and good. we can show up and people say all the time, like, oh, let me know if there's anything that you need. And it's like, okay, are you actually, are people taking you up on that? Like right. when it's three in the morning and your, you know, three-year-old is like uncontrollably vomiting and you're thinking you need to go to the ER, but your husband's traveling and your infant, you know, you need to like, is that little, like, I'm, I'm, a am this servant and I'll, you know, help you. Like, is that, are you going to call that person at 3 a.m.? Right. Or are you going to call the person that called you at 4 a.m. when mm. they needed to be at the airport and their car broke down and they didn't have, you know, whatever it was. Like, let me tell you, you call the person at 3 a.m. who called you at 4 a.m. two months yeah, ago. Yeah, that's like, right. That person created, that was an actual offer that they gave you that required, I think, a lot more transparency, a lot more vulnerability, mm. and a lot more courage to be the one who went first and who asked for help first and without saying it, like you are creating a sense of permission for, for you to be that phone call, um, mm. way more than being the person who writes in a card, like, call me if you ever need anything, let me know, right. you know, and I'm right. not saying it's wrong to do that, but like, if we're not also showing up with our own crap and letting other people into that and asking for help, I think that's why the vast majority of Americans are so desperately lonely yeah. and absolutely believe that they are alone in their brokenness, in their disappointment, in their shame, whatever it is, um, is because we operate out of this mentality of like, I'll give, but ooh, to ask, like yeah. that's risky. And yeah. it is risky. It's incredibly yeah. vulnerable. Um, and we put, you know, we put ourselves out there, but I absolutely believe that that's how transformative relationships work. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Liz to tell you about our friends that are making today's show possible. Thanks for starters to Rothy's. If you want to celebrate the stylish on-the-go women in your life, Rothy's shoes make this a perfect holiday gift. In our family, one of the things we all have to do is fill out a Google document, a Google survey to talk about what we want for Christmas. And you better believe on that spreadsheet, people have been asking for pairs of Rothy's. It is what the women in my family want, and I bet the women in your family want them as well. I have the pink ones, but I am looking at some of those. That I think the pair I'm going to get myself coming up this month are those new black, you not going to be surprised, the black sparkly ones. I'm trying to decide if I want them in pointy toe or if I want them in the slip-on shoe that looks more like a sneaker. I'll, I'll let you know, but I am thrilled about it. Rothy's are these chic and comfortable shoes and they go with everything. Whether the woman in your life likes a classic black flat or maybe a sparkly flat or a wild leopard print Chelsea boot. They have a huge range of colors and patterns to choose from with new hues dropping constantly. And I love that Rothy's are environmentally thoughtful gift too, because they seamlessly knit using thread made from recycled plastic water bottles. And since they're seamlessly crafted through 3D knitting and hand assembly, they provide out of the box comfort with zero break in period and they're washable. So if you order by December 20th, which this gives you plenty of time, you can be guaranteed to get the shoes before Christmas and dazzle the gal in your life with a perfect present. Pick one that suits her or get her a gift card and let her choose. Rothy's always comes with free returns and free exchanges. So if the color you choose isn't her thing, she can easily get a color that she'll love. As we've talked about, Rothy's has already diverted over 40 million plastic bottles from landfills to make these beautiful, sustainable shoes. And another major bonus, they're fully machine washable. Every time they need a refresh, simply toss them in the washing machine and it's like getting a fresh pair every laundry day. 
So check out all the amazing styles available right now for you. And if you want to give it as a gift, the gift of comfort, style, and sustainability by going to rothys.com slash sounds fun. That's rothys.com slash sounds fun. And friends, this show is also brought to you from our friends at FabFitFun. Y'all, I cannot quit my shower speaker that came in my winter FabFitFun box. You guys, have y'all subscribed yet? How fun is this that once a quarter of this box shows up in our lives with some of the best things in it? Okay, so here's the question. First of all, I'd love for you to answer what sounds fun to you, just like we've been answering at the end of every show since the show was born. But the question with this is, what is your fab? So right now my fab is a new leopard print um, cardigan that I bought. What is your fit? Y'all know I'm playing soccer right now and I am loving it. And what is your fun? Well, I'm never short on fun, but I just finished watching season three of The Crown. Y'all, I mean, wasn't that awesome? I loved it so, so much. But y'all also know what's fun to me is opening that fab fit fun box. I mean, I opened it live on Jordan Lee Dooley's episode. I had a ball. I absolutely love really everything that came in the box from the lotions and the soaps to the shower speaker. I also got a new beanie and some new gloves that I've already worn. I love them so much. The FabFitFun seasonal boxes come filled with eight to 10 full-size beauty, fitness, home, and wellness products from some of your favorite brands. And it's all just for $49.99. And once a season, you actually go to the website and start customizing your own box. So some of the things in my box, I actually picked like the shower speaker. In just a few minutes, you have curated your perfect box ready to be shipped to your doorstep for your very own unboxing moment. So browse around their website, fabfitfun.com to explore and become more familiar with the brands and the products. Make it personal and have so much fun. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. And the box retails for $49.99, but it always has a value of over $200, which is awesome. But if you use the coupon code SOUNDSFUN, you get $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Again, use the code SOUNDSFUN when you're checking out. And instead of it being $49.99, it'll be $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. And now back to the show with Liz. A friend of mine texted me today and said, how did preaching go yesterday at church? And I was like, I've got two answers here. You know, like I've got the, mm-hmm. it went fine. It went great. Cause it did go great. People, I'm, I'm, I feel like I said what I was supposed to say. The response was what I think God would have from people, you know, all that. But then there's like the personal Annie side where I feel like a mess today. And and so I gave the, it went really well, da, 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 da. And the response back was like, and how do you think the defense did on the other side of the field, coach? You know, and I was like, <laughs> oh, right. I said, yeah, that did sound official, right? And then I was like, okay, fine. Here's the real answer. And I like gave the real answer. And I just thought, man, I have got to learn that when someone is asking, on the opposite side of what you're saying, when someone is asking, can I help you? Or do will you answer my question? I mm. have to learn they really mean that or they wouldn't have said it. Yeah. Like assume they mean that they want to know what you're actually feeling until they tell you that's not what they meant. Right. And if they're saying they want to know and they don't really, well, that's on them. Well, they're that's lying. On them. You're like, liars. They're that's lying. Exactly right. And the consequence <laughs> to your lies will be my truth that you yeah. know. That's yeah. right. The consequence to your lie is I am going to call you at 3 a.m. 
<laughs> because you said I could call you at 3 a.m. That's the funny thing to me too, Liz. I'd love for you to talk about this because for our friends who haven't um, read the book yet or haven't listened to your last episode, one of the things you talk about is living, how you live in a really intentional community. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not the friend who shows up at someone's house. I am the friend who will text and go, hey, can I bring y'all dinner? I he- I see something's going on. I, I know something's going on. Can I bring you dinner? But I don't show up at people's houses. Because I don't want people showing up at my house without mm. communication. But I know that there are some people that that's really how they feel loved is, is when there are friends who show up without being invited. How do you so, balance that? So here's the thing. One, I will challenge you on it. Okay, do. Annie. I'm okay with that. That like your, here's the only way that it works in our community is that you show up unannounced. You also have absolute jurisdiction is that the right word uh-huh, i don't sure. know you're Over allowed, your own space you are absolutely allowed and it is a hundred percent like socially acceptable in our world to look at somebody and to say i can't right now i need yeah. space or hey we're in the midst of a we're having family dinner and we yeah. just want some time so you it, it only works if you normalize no as well, which right now in our current culture, That's that is good. completely unacceptable. Yeah. Like if someone comes over to your house and you say, please leave, that is seen as like super rude and like, oh my gosh, is our friendship over? Like they just asked me to leave. Whereas in our world, that is like a super normal and you just absolutely have to, it requires, it's like a family, right? Like there's yeah. like, you believe so deeply like, oh my gosh, this friendship is so infinitely bigger than this moment that this this moment does not hold the weight of our friendship. Like this is a right. specific right. instance and this is a moment in time. But I will also say that there have been times where it's like Ben and I will be in the thick of it and we will be in a really intense fight and someone will show up. And even when they do that and we're like, hey, we really need a moment to wrap this up. Like yeah. can't hang out. What that does is like well, you best believe that two nights from now when I'm meeting with my women on Wednesday nights, someone's going like, hey, what was that about? Uh-huh. Are you reconciled? What's happening? Mm. What was going mm. on? And I may not have had the strength or the courage to in that moment say, well, Ben and I got in this blowout fight on Monday, but I don't actually have that option because right, I've chosen because someone to live in a way <laughs> that lets people in and mm. there's no hiding. And that feels bad in the moment, but Mm -hmm. over the course of a lifetime, the feeling of not being able to hide is actually the thing that will set our souls free. And we can do that for each other and create lives where we, where hiding isn't even an option, where our friends are so persistent and there's so much expectation of transparency that it actually removes that option from the table. And what an incredible gift. To give people, but I don't know that we get that unless we risk unless we show up. opening the door, opening the door, and saying like, "I you can stop by mm-hmm. unannounced." But I also mm-hmm. have the freedom to say like, "I've been on the road. I've done this so many times." And we also kind of have a rule in our community that like downstairs are communal and upstairs are private. So a lot oh, of that's times smart. it's like all of your houses are connected. For people who don't know, y'all's houses are like literally all by yeah. each other. Yeah, they're like all on the same property. Now there's more yeah. houses on the same street that don't necessarily share, but we very much have an open door policy. Mm-hmm. And the general rule is like downstairs communal, upstairs private. You do not go upstairs unless you've been 
explicitly invited, essentially. Oh, that's really so interesting. There's a lot of times where it's like people are hanging out and I just got home and I'm home from the road and I just need a moment. And it's like, so I just disappear upstairs and I won't be seen oh, for the entire brilliant. night. And that is apps. That's another thing that it's like, you know, in some relationships and communities, I think if you just disappear in the middle of a dinner party, people are like, oh my gosh, what's happening? That's weird. That's mm-hmm. rude. Is she mad? And in our community, it's just like, she knows what she needs. So she's going to go upstairs wow. and we're going to keep hanging out and drinking wine. But I mean, it, there are times that people have to be like, man, where'd Liz go? I mean, there has to be, it's not like everybody is just satisfied with all that, right? There's got to be some times where things get sideways. What do you mean? Like, I would just imagine that there are times where, because the way it's sounding is that everybody's like, hippie, peaceful with each other. <laughs> there just has to be times where someone needs you and you're not available or you need someone and they're not available or two friends need each other and it and, and it causes friction. Oh, no? sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think that that happens in the context of like, let's actually sit down and have a conversation about this. Mm-hmm. And you get to tell me like, hey, it seems like you've been kind of absent from the community lately. What's going on? And like kind of open, it's like you allow the other person to tell you the story as yeah. opposed to like, oh, Liz just like disappeared in the middle. I bet, oh my, I had just said something and it was kind of political like 20 minutes ago. And maybe she was like mad at me for, you know, we do that so Liz, much. I'm getting ready to get you to talk about that. We do that so much where we write stories oh, that are not there. We are just, if we got, if we put those stories down on paper and somebody paid them for us, uh, listen, we would be, we would be John Grisham's like we Rich. write so That's we right. are prolific authors of other people's motivations yeah and other people's stories and That's right. And so I think our posture is instead of like stop drop and roll like I'm telling myself a story I'm going to make it a note to ask that person to go to coffee, to drop them, you know, off some breakfast to on our regular weekly meetings. That's going to be one of the first questions I ask. I'm, my job is to create the space so that you can tell me the story, not yeah. to write my own stories and then get all in a tizzy. And, and then there's so much of the work of relationships is just unwinding mm-hmm. each other's stories. And like, mm-hmm. I have to convince you that your story isn't right. And it was about me. Right. Um, so instead, just like creating the space and then a huge thing is just trusting. Like when someone's like, okay, that actually, it had nothing to do with you. Your posture being like a hundred percent understood. Okay. Sometimes you do, like, sometimes I do, I have to confess my stories and Ben and I do this in marriage a lot. Like that is language that we use where I will confess to him. This happened. And this is the story I'm telling myself about it. Yeah. And give the other person the opportunity to hear because that is a part of intimacy is like, we are going to feel those feelings and we are going to, we are going to write the stories. And so uh, we're not always going to be able to just like be blank slates, but I think mm-hmm. like having the honesty to say, this is the story I'm telling and I need you to know that, but also I'm opening this up so that you can tell me the truer story. That's right. About what That's, I mean, I got to do that with one of our girlfriends le- lately where I was like, Hey, I mean, I literally texted her the day after something happened. I said, I don't know what you meant, but can I just tell you the story I'm telling myself? I'm not even saying what you did. The story I'm telling myself is this. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's not the story at all. And I was like, okay, great. (laughs) Let's just, I'm glad to hear because I, that story was weird (laughs) and I didn't like it anyway. (laughs) Yes. We've, you know, Brene Brown talks about this in Dare to Lead. And it's even something that we did with um, a recent hard situation that we had at our company as we got everybody around the table and we actually gave everybody the opportunity. We shared with them some kind of hard news about um, 
it doesn't matter. And we gave everybody the opportunity to say like, hey, what's the story you're telling yourself about why this happened? Because there is something really powerful about just being able to speak it and say it out loud and then to have an opportunity for the truest story to then kind of like emerge. Um, But yeah, I think think the notion that we are all by nature story writers and we just have to We've like got to acknowledge that. And then if we're truly in relationship, we have to give people the dignity and the honor of believing when we're corrected, you know, yeah. saying like, oh, okay, that actually wasn't about me. And frankly, you know, I talk about this in the book, like one of the biggest messages of the entire book is like, no one's thinking about you as much as you think. Uh, no one thinks about <laughs> you as much as you think about yourself. And so I, our ability listen, to make other people's story, we are the center of everybody else's story. And you it's want me like, to tell oh, you the mantra that you. I have to say to myself? Everyone's not thinking about you, Annie. Yes, <laughs> this is not about so you. True. And it's yeah. like, and I think as women, I talk about this in the book that I, I think specifically women, which by the way, the book is not written for women. I feel no, it is not. I loved that so much. But it's been so fun. I've been hearing a lot from male readers, and yeah. I, I just feel very adamant. I'm fine if there there are books that sh- are written for women, and I'm not sure. against that at all. I just am on this tirade where I'm like, just because a woman wrote it, like doesn't mean it's a book by women for women. And I Listen. I just really struggle that our current culture is like, oh, there's a picture of a woman on front. That must only be for women. So I very intentionally did not write this book only for women. I wrote it for anybody who wants to build a life of purpose, passion, and impact. But I do think that women more often, like we have this thing where we're like, um, yeah, I'm just really struggling with insecurity. And it's just an insecurity that I have. And when we do that, I think it kind of makes us a little bit feel like we're victims to our insecurities, Mm. right? Like everybody's Mm -hmm. insecure and we all have things and it's like really hard to get over our insecurities. I would argue that oftentimes the things that you are labeling as insecurities are actually an immature and inflated ego problem that you have. And I mean that because I'm saying you are actually, what you are saying is like, I'm so insecure that they thought this certain thing about me. And the reality is like, oh, actually your problem is you think that they're still thinking about you three days after that conversation. Like you're laying in bed with your cheeks flushed and burning with embarrassment thinking that a whole handful of people are also laying in bed thinking about that Mm. stupid thing that you said, like bless child. No, like one of them is in a fight with her husband. The other one's trying to figure out how she's going to get from her board meeting to soccer practice on time. The other one's thinking about, you know, his sick mom, like you are not the center of the universe. And I Mm -hmm. find that when we reframe that for me, it has been incredibly helpful when I am feeling that sense of what I used to label as insecurity. And I go, Oh, that's just your immature ego. That's your immature ego that needs a little bit of maturing. Man, you're so tough on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I would tell you that toughness leads to freedom because what that does is it says, Oh, I have autonomy over this. Like this is my ego. This is my immature ego. And I can Mm. get settled and I can get rooted in who I am and where my inherent worthiness comes from and recognize that I'm not quite as big of a deal as I think I am and that I think everybody's thinking about me and what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. And um, that it motivates me. It gives me a sense of like, this is you. And like, you have the opportunity to mature your own ego and to move beyond that mindset as opposed to this, like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just like paralyzed with insecurity and I'll probably just always 
be that and mm. instead go like, mm, actually, like this is an ego problem because I feel wow. very motivated. When I think I have an ego problem to fix it. Yes. I don't feel that same amount of motivation when I think I have an insecurity problem. Yes. Yes. Because you just think I need to sit here and be healed, not yes. like buck up and do something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you are mean to me and I'm listening. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're not mean. You're not mean. I mean, I, I, the whole spirit of the book is that, like, I open up the book with a chapter called "Own Your Average." That's like literally like that one. Yes. I'm like, I have. My guess is that I'm probably the only person that's in the quote unquote inspirational self help aisle of Barnes and Noble. That is, you're going to open up in the first chapter. You're going to read is like, we need to get some things real straight. Uh-huh. You're you're probably pretty average. You're like, probably pretty average, yeah. Like, <laughs> and like work from that and stop spending all of this wasted time and energy and angst. Like, am I special? Am I above average? What are people going to think about me? And it's like, because here's the thing. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed, right? Like we have a finite right. amount of energy and every ounce of energy that you recover from asking yourself this that stupid question of like, am I above average? How do I measure up? Who's in front of me? Who's behind me? Like you can Mm -hmm. redirect that energy into going, who did God make me to be? How do I do that out in the world? How do I create? Like, because that takes a whole lot of energy and people, you need every ounce of energy you have to go do the incredibly good and meaningful work that you were created to do. And Every minute that you waste over here comparing and scrolling and tapping and liking, that is less energy and watts that yep. you then have to just go be yep. who you were created to be. Yeah. I I often, one of my, and that, we'll just keep using this word, one of my mantras that I say a lot to, is that whatever the thing is that's trying to distract me, I'm like, I just actually literally don't have time. Like, I just don't mm. have time. I yeah. can't, this relationship that I'm trying to resolve that won't fix, I, I just don't have time. We've tried, mm. I don't have time. This mm-hmm. this disappointment that just looks like it's sitting right in front of me, I just don't have time. Or this mess that I won't clean up, I, I have to clean it up. I don't have time to live with a mess. You know, like, it's that, like, I have only got so much energy every day, and God has asked me to, God will ask me how I used my time. Yeah. And we- And so I just have to... I don't have to be in a hurry and I don't have to be, and I don't have to worry because Jesus, what is it? Jesus settled the score, score. but I do need to not waste my time on things that are not what God would have me spend my time on. And also like, don't the people that you love and admire the most do that? Like, that's the thing. It's like, I, there is nobody that I look up to. That I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, that person, they know who they are and they are out in the world and they are taking risks and they are creating and they are making magic. And also they really get in a tizzy about what people are saying. Right, <laughs> And also right. they, they really, really care. Get into drama. Like a hundred percent of the time, those right. people that I look at, uh, they have that sense of like, I am doing what I was called to do. And I mm-hmm. like, I, it's too important. It is too important to get distracted. And by the way, I just want to say to everybody, like I'm absolutely preaching to my self. This is a lifelong, like I am not, this is a belief that I can say over the last 10 years of practice, 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 practice does come absolutely easier. And it is more, it it, it is becoming, I'm more fluent in it, but it is still Mm. not my native tongue. If you will. Yes. Still foreign language. That's beautiful. Still a foreign language and I'm becoming more conversational and it's quicker to come to my brain. But oh my gosh, there I I am still 
can open up an email and spiral and have a pit in my stomach. You know, it's like what I was telling you about the email that I got right before yeah, I went on stage. Yeah. Like what I wanted to do, like I did not immediately say, but you know, you have worth and God's economy is different than yours. And, and you're <laughs> right. only in control for the input and not about the output now. Right. Go tell jokes on stage. It was like, I had to spiral for a little bit, but I think I probably would have spiraled for two weeks. And I only mm. spiraled for like 14 hours this time, yes. <laughs> you know, and like yes. by the time I woke up the next morning, all because of the work and the practice of telling myself truer stories, I was much quicker to come home to myself yeah. and to the Lord than I think I would have been five years I ago. I love that's the ago. last chapter to come home, walk mm. each other home. Yeah, I just thought, oh, man, that is. Yes, I don't want to give away the end of the book, but I was like, that is how we should end this mm. is by just making sure we're putting energy and time toward walking each other home. That was one of my favorite, and it felt like most important chapters of the whole yeah. book was like, yeah. that's it. Like at the end of the day, we're not trying to save people. Like we're not trying right. to be the heroes. We're not trying to be successful. Literally, we were put on earth to remind one another of who mm -hmm. we are and to help each other get home. Yes. You did really good work on this book, Liz. Oh, thank you. you. Really, that means really did. so much coming from well. you. I mean it. Um, before, so I want to do a couple more things. I know we're running low on time. I, I want to talk about Hamilton for a minute. Do you have time to do that? Um, I could literally be in child labor, and I would say yes. I have time to talk about Hamilton. <laughs> I just thought your experience after your experience in Hamilton of crying like crazy, like I did too, and then afterwards you were just so. I mean, so just talk about you saw Hamilton for the first time. A couple of weeks ago, I did. It was I saw it in New York a couple of weeks ago. I went by myself, like totally on a whim, walked into the, the theater and I was like, okay, what, what do you have for me that is cost less than, you know, the national yes. deficit That's and right. um, got an amazing seat because I honestly just felt like it was God's kindness. Center yes. orchestra started crying in the first act, just didn't stop the entire Had show. you listened to the music? Had you been? Oh yeah. Did you yeah, know yeah, it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. the I first time I went, I hadn't listened to a single thing. I didn't know anything that was coming. Okay. So I had a lot of context. I'd listened to the okay. soundtrack. I had watched the documentary. Like, I knew the things. Wait, I there's just... a documentary? Oh, yeah. Right when what? Hamilton, maybe like, I can't remember. Maybe it was like around when the original cast was like rapping. There was like a PBS like documentary. And it's all about, it like aired at a special time. I can't remember, but I'm sure it's still available. Like I had friends over, we watched it, but I never saw it because I really wanted to see it in New York. And so I was like kind of saving it for myself. Okay. And I was really glad that I did. Um, so yeah, I had context going into it, but I just, I walked out of the show. And so it was, it was the week my book launched. I'm feeling like all of these big feelings and it feels so vulnerable and so scary. And I just like had this moment of absolute, I saw myself in this, like with this, from this lens that I, it's mm. like, why am I so hard on myself? And I'm constantly being like, are you good enough? Does that matter? Why do blah, 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 blah. And I can so get in my head and, and, and ultimately like comparing myself to other people. And all that does is take me out of the work that I was created to do. And yeah. as I'm watching Hamilton, I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that they created this. Like, I am so glad that, that, in the process and, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda and all of the other people that were involved in visioning and executing at any moment in time, they could have gone off course. They could have compared yes. themselves. They could have said sales weren't good enough. They could have said it's not perfect. They could have said we're not getting critical reviews. They could have said this feels really risky. And what if people rebelling, you know, like they could have said all, and, and at any moment in time, they could have just walked away and they yes. didn't. 
And oh my gosh, I'm so glad they didn't because that's like, because it's magic. And it's something that only this specific group of people in this specific group of time, like could have envisioned and imagineered and created and executed. And like, praise God. And I just wanted to walk up and down the streets of New York, shaking people on the shoulders and saying, you have to do it. I don't know what right. it is, but whatever the thing is that is inside of you, please, please, like please, we need please, you please to do don't it. deprive us. Yeah. We need you to show up and to make your magic, not just for yes. yourself. Like we actually need you to do that. And you yeah. have something to offer that no one else can give us. And if you are spending your time paralyzed in fear and comparing yourself, and by the way, even this notion of like, I need to be the best at something. Let's talk about inflated sense of ego. Yeah. I struggle with that narrative a lot. Like, I don't want to do something if I can't be the top at it. And I have to really come back to myself and say like, who do you think you are? Like, mm. who do you think you are that in order for that, that you have to be the best at this thing? And by mm-hmm. the way, what does that say about everybody minus the number one person that is right. out there creating? Like right. when you are holding yourself to that standard, you are. At, so I have this. Really You're literally holding memory. everyone to that standard. Right. So when I was in like fourth grade, I was not a very athletic child and I actually have a ton of insecurity around it. And I like had asthma and like I didn't play sports. And every time we ran the mile, I would have an asthma attack. And it was like created a lot of anxiety for me as a kid. And I remember running the mile once and it was like, oh my gosh, I would, I would start getting anxious three months before we had to do the mile. And there was this girl in my class and she was a soccer player and she was like really fast and she was awesome. And I, you know, I was running, like literally had my inhaler. I'm probably running like 11 minute miles when I'm in fifth grade. And, um, this gal who girl, you know, she was the fastest in our class and she came up to me and, and, um, she was like, Oh, I I overheard her talking. She's like, I'm so mad at myself. I'm just so disappointed. You know, I only ran a, I don't know what it was like six minute mile. And I know I can do better than that. I just, I suck so bad. And then she looked at me and she goes, um, she was like, what did you run? And I like was horrified. And I, you know, like told her the truth. And I was like, uh, you know, 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Right, right. And she looked at me, she goes like, she goes, oh my God, that's so good. And I just remember in the moment being like, liar. Like, uh, obviously you don't think that that's good because you just like held yourself to a completely different standard. Like I heard your self-talk yeah, and yeah. actually your self-talk is keeping me from believing that you think what I did is good, even though maybe if that Uh, was good for me. And that kind of like mentality of like, when I hold myself to an impossible standard, the subtext of that is like, okay, well, Annie, the next thing that you do that, you know, isn't number one or isn't the best, like, well, it clearly doesn't have as much value. And it's like, I don't believe that. Yeah. Like, that is like, (laughs) and so if I don't believe it for you, I can't believe it for myself. Like if I don't believe that, that something you create just has this intrinsic value and magic and will make our world better because it's the thing that you were created to do, regardless of how it's received and regardless if it's successful or, you know, all, all of those things, then I Mm -hmm. actually don't believe that for myself. And so Mm -hmm. I think Hamilton reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I love that. It's not even like, it's Aaron Burr that changed my life. You're like the people doing the work behind the scenes that we'll never see. If they don't, if Lynn Manuel Miranda doesn't sit down in his house and write these songs without us knowing, we mm. all lose. We all lose. Yep. And, and so to think we just got to keep doing it. That was that it's it had never been done before. Like I mean, he literally probably saved the genre of the musical by the 
how imaginative and creative and smart and modern Mm -hmm. the interpretation and the motivation was like shifted an an entire genre of art. But like, we just, that we just, when I sit there in the center orchestra, like that's the tip of the iceberg. Like what is underneath the ocean is I'm sure also a lot of fear that went into like, will this be received? Will it be misinterpreted? Will people like it? Am I going to go bankrupt? Like, yeah, yeah. there's like so much, risk that is entailed in bringing our art out into the world. And I just want to see a community of people who are just cheering one another on and saying like, Mm. it's worth it. Like just keep going. Dude, you're building it. You're doing it. I oh, I just so. love That's you. That's my hope and prayer for this. We call ourselves pluckies, which is really fun. Yes. I love it so much. And you give out um, beginners pluck awards. Yes, yes. So we're doing the Beginner's Pluck Awards. They're running right now. So if you want to nominate somebody to get uh, to get an award, you'll get fun stuff, like 100 bucks That's towards so Seiko cute. Designs and all kinds of other stuff, free books. But it's really just like, how do we create a community that is calling out um, beauty and bravery and courage and creation um, yeah. and just decide we're going to stand along one another and remind each other of who we are and who we were created to be. Yeah. Man, I didn't, I've never thought about creating an award to give away, but that I'm, I'm very inspired. I love giving awards. <laughs> so that may be so happening. Fun. I may be copying you very soon. I love it. Hey, Annie, steal like an artist. You know, That's there's right. nothing new. It's so, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I had like multiple people reach out to me that, you know, wanted me to have them on their podcast or their blog. And they would say something about like, I, I said something similar to this, you know, a year ago. And I just want to let you know that I wasn't like, you know, copying you. And I'm like, yeah. nothing new under the sun. Like right, the end right. of the day, like, no, there is like, at the, like, we are all like, whatever you said has your lens and your experience, maybe the same core nugget of truth. Well, partly uh-huh. that just means it's probably true because you felt it in your own life. And like, yeah. you're going to put your own voice towards it and your own tone and your own story and your own experience. And here's the thing you might impact and affect somebody that I wouldn't be able to. And like, yeah. I don't need to be the hero of the story. Like, I just want you to go create what you were created to do and impact the type of people that you were created to impact. And I think that that mentality of just like knowing that we were each created with such a unique voice and perspective and that like we will impact people. And and that was a big narrative for myself in writing this book that it was like, what if God just has it orchestrated that like there is something about my background or my experience or my voice or my humor that will allow an entrance into someone's heart that may have heard this message 75 other times, but it yeah. didn't resonate with them. You know, and I think about that a lot. I, I just gave um, a, a, a talk and at the end of the talk, I kind of talk about this idea that like we're not made to be the heroes of the story. And I share yeah. this story about one of our, um, one of my coworkers, Agnes, who is a Ugandan woman who I met when she was just graduating from college. And she's worked with us now for like eight years. She started out as an intern. She is now the general manager of our entire company. She co-chairs this board with me. Um, she's traveled all over the continent. She's come to the United States. She's like speaking and inspiring you know, Seiko fellows who are, who are the women who sell our product here in the United States and other entrepreneurs and her village, Annie back home has completely transformed in the last Uh, eight years, uh -uh. 10 years ago, the average girl in her home community was married by the age of 13 and sometimes as early as eight or nine years old and less than Eight years later, which in the world of like global development is an incredibly short amount of time, the average 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, almost all of the teenage women in her community are in school. And the reason that they're in school 
is only because of Aggie. Like it's because they have seen through Aggie's story when she was 13, um, a guy offered her dad 20 cows in exchange for her marriage, a village elder that was the same age as her dad. And her dad said no. And he was like, and shocked. The whole village was like, nope, I'm keeping her in school. So she went on to high school. She graduated from college. Now she's, you know, the managing director of this global fashion brand. And so it's like, and I am just, I could, I just am moved to tears every time I think about the fact that that all of the the women in that entire village, those families literally have no idea who Liz Fork and Bohannon is. Like, right. just like I have never met them. I probably never will meet them. Like the only reason that her community is changing is because of her. Like Aggie yeah. has a voice and a Aww. perspective and an impact. Like when they see Aggie's trajectory, like what for them to see me and see my story, like it's completely irrelevant to them. Like, okay, cool. Some girl that grew up in America that, you know, did this and did that. It's like, but Aggie has this perspective and she has a voice and she has a way of speaking and she has an experience that can burrow its way into the hearts of not just the young women, but of the, you know, the families who are making decisions on behalf of this, of these young women. And like, she can light a path for freedom and for possibility in a way that I literally never could. And I think as leaders, we get so consumed and obsessed with like, what's my role and what's my impact? And we forget that it's like, yeah, but don't you understand? Like the whole point of you being who you were created to be is so that you can spark that in someone else. And then they can go on and create change and impact in unimaginable ways that are totally out of your reach and totally out of possibility for you, but not for her and not for him. But like, we spur each other on when we have the courage to do that work in ourselves and to show up and to do what we were created to do. Girl. Sorry, that was like very. <gasps> that was very good is the next thing I'd like you to say. Sorry, <laughs> that was very good. Like, I'm sorry, everyone, but that was really good what I just said. So sorry. That's the only thing I want you apologizing for. Okay, sorry, everybody. That was really good. There you go. Well done. <laughs> Man, you just, um, you know what? This is about as high a compliment as I can pay a friend. You don't make me want to be like you. You make me want to be like me. Oh, like you make me want to be the very God. best me. And I just am so thankful for that. I don't know a lot of friends of mine who, when I hear about how they're living their life, makes me want to live my life um, better. So thank you. That is everything to me and means so, so, so much because I want you to be be Annie because the world needs Annie. We need your magic. So keep going. I'm working on it, girl. Um, Hey, the last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what y'all are doing for fun these days. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm not having any fun. (laughs) Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun in life right now. It's like high, high octane fun yeah, in the sense yeah. that it's like pretty intense, but I have to say it. So I'm, I'm on book tour right now. I'm in Seattle. So we've got an event tonight and we're like in the thick of it. And I will say I was having like serious anxiety about this up until yeah. it started. And now I'm just like, this is fun. Like, are you right. kidding me? We're going to have an entire building full of people who are like coming to like yeah. hear about this book and to meet other awesome people in their community. And like, I get to kind of be a part of that. What yes. the heck is this actual life that I'm living? Oh. Also, I get to do it with my husband, right. which is so, so he's fun. With you. He's with me. Yeah. We drove up from Portland this morning, but we're, we've got an eight city tour. I don't know when this is going to air, but yeah, we've yeah. got an eight city tour over the course of the next two weeks. So we're going to be all over the country. Um, and I get to do it with my best friend and uh, meet amazing. I mean, Annie, I'm sure you feel this way. Meeting readers 
is oh, literally gosh. the best ever. Meeting readers and podcast listeners is like my favorite thing. It when is, people come up and they're like, I feel like we're already friends. I'm like, me too. I, I mean it. <laughs> I don't know if you feel this way though, but sometimes I'm like, okay, but I need like three hours for you to just talk and tell me all the things about you. Yes, yes. Because that's I don't exactly know how you, I feel. And you that's do right. feel like you know me. And so I am like, my husband gave me a big lecture the other day. He was like, you've got to figure out how to sign books faster. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, we need, uh, like I, but here's the thing. Signing books for me is like just an opportunity to like get a snippet of like, well, who are you and what makes you come to life? And my sweet husband is like, you will sign two books. And there is a hundred people that came to get a book signed. (laughs) And I I told my husband this and maybe this is wrong. I was like, but then, um, I would rather sign two books Mm -hmm. and like, no two people, then sign a hundred books and just yes. say hi. So yes. anyway, I need to figure this out and maybe offline you can give me. Yes, there's a way. There's a way. How you do this yes. because it's like, I'm, I, I don't know. I have, I have, I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> okay. So it. dear everyone listening, when you get in Liz's line to get her to sign your book, this, the most best friend thing you can do is you can be fast with your story. <laughs> you show up for her by being fast. That is how you do it. And send her an, send her a long email and tell her everything else. Oh, yes, exactly. Because it kills me. It really, and I, I want to meet all the people. When I, I spoke at the Global Leadership Summit a couple months ago, and it was so fun. But I mean, there's a lot of people in that audience. And there was an yeah. amazing reception. And the the sweet, like, you know, handlers, I'd been signing books for like, oh, I don't know, hours. And they were just yes. like, okay, like, you tell us. And I'm like, how late? Like, I'm here. Like, I'm like, yes. bring me some coffee. Bring me some burritos. Like, how late? Did, can we be here until three in the morning? Like, can this be like a lock-in situation? And they were like, no, hard pass. Yeah, no. no. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we'll figure this out. I need to tell you some things. We're going to figure it out. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> keep going. What fun. you're doing for and fun. That's what I'm, that is what I'm up to now. And then okay. what will also be fun is that as soon as this tour gets over at the end of October, I am taking November to just like, well, I say I'm still working full time, but for me, just working yeah. full time. That's right. <laughs> not having six other jobs and just going to work like a normal person for normal hours and then coming home and being with my kids and yeah. making caramel apples and doing fall things. And mm. um, yeah, I just feel, I feel so excited to push really hard for the rest of this month and then feel so excited that I've got a, a few, a season to just like go yeah. back to normal. I, um, you know, I took the fall off from traveling this year mm-hmm. and people were like, so are you like on sabbatical? And I was like, do y'all not know my job? One <laughs> piece of my job is traveling. <laughs> I wish I was taking, I mean, do I look that rich? I mean, I know I wear glittery shoes, but I didn't get the whole fall off from work. Lord of mercy. I'm just not getting on a plane. That's two different things. So when you say that, that like you just have to do your job, I'm like, girl, I feel that so hard. Right. Like my version of sabbatical right now is like, you know, working 45, 50 hours a week, like raising tiny children, like, you know, all of the things. But but I think you probably know this when you're in a season where like the crazy is really crazy. Normal life feels uh, peaceful. Yep. And like restful. Do you feel that yeah. way? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, totally. I'm like, oh, I can that's what I'm forever. getting ready to get into. I'm about to have a book due at the end of the month. And then I'm like, okay, and then we'll do some normal stuff for two months. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. So are you gonna are you will you ever take a sabbatical? Uh I don't yeah. My hope is when I get married, we get some time off. That mm. would be my hope. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. w- that there is a break th- for that. 
That would be my hope, where it's more than just like a week. I mean, we don't need to go on a six-month honeymoon, but yeah, I just would yeah. like a little break from work. Because when he jumps into this life with me and I jump into his life with him, the, he, he'll already know this speed and this exists. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it would be nice to have a little bit of extended sabbatical. Yeah. And I'm coming up on, I'm right at seven years of this being my full-time job. So you're kind of supposed to, oh, yeah. you know, you know Sabbath I listened at some to point. your podcast with Lauren Daigle. Uh, yes. One, so good. Two, I was like, oh my gosh, I missed it. I know. <laughs> I, like, I, know. <laughs> I blew through seven years ago, 30 years. And, you're going to really uh, get I it at 14. totally missed the sabbatical memo. Oh yeah, my so gosh, do I just wait 14 or do I go now? I don't know. I'll call Lauren and ask her about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, call Lauren. That's right. Oh, you're so funny. All right. Well, I love you, sister. Thanks for doing this. So fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, friends, isn't she just the coolest? I mean, if we could all just be as cool as Liz Bahannon. I know, I know, I love her. Listen, if you haven't ordered Beginner's Pluck for everyone in your family and all your friends and every gathering you're going to or you have to take one gift, I need you to do that right now. It's just so good. It's so good. It's a book you are all going to enjoy reading. And make sure you give Liz a follow on Instagram, Twitter, all the places. Tell her thanks for being on the show and how much you enjoyed it. If you need anything else from me today, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. You know this, Annie F. Downs, F as in full of joy, because I love getting to talk to Liz. That was such a treat. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. Get ready for a big week, friends. Thursday on the show, we have, oh gosh, just one of the pastors I adore on the planet, Jeff Henderson. And then Friday, we start our 12 Days of Christmas with Phil Wickham. So you need to like do some stretches, get ready. We're about to have a lot of shows in a row, but I promise you are going to love them. So go out and do something that sounds fun to you today, and I'll do the same. We'll see you back here on Thursday with Jeff, and enjoy these couple of Christmas stories as we head out. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. I host the Pivot Podcast. One of my favorite Christmas memories, uh, my wife and I were newlyweds, and we had like no money in this little house. And Christmas morning, I walked down, and there was a... uh, ping pong table in our garage and that was like the most we had we wore that thing out literally like wore it out over the the next like did she give it to you was it a gift from her to you she gave me a ping pong table which is not a thing i would have asked for which was the like you know usually you're excited when you get the thing you asked for but it was the thing that i never in a million years would have thought i wanted it was like the most fun it was great hi my name is julie roberts author of beauty and the breakdown And my favorite Christmas story is revolved around food in South Carolina. Our Christmases growing up were always the same. And um, the thing that I remember the most was Mama's candy she'd make every year. And even when I go home now, anytime I go visit South Carolina, she has these, we call them Cocoa Puffs. Mm -hmm. And there's, have you ever seen, and they make them here now called Grab the Gold? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mama was making grab the golds <laughs> years ago at Christmas time, yeah. and um, she always called them cocoa puffs. And so, when I think of Christmas in South Carolina growing up, and even now when I go back, Mama always, and even if I am late to Christmas, like I sometimes can't go right on Christmas, right. and my family's all gone, but Mama's here. She has saved me one cocoa puff. How big are they? Like holding your hand, big? Yes. 
And it's what? Oats? It's and oatmeal and peanut butter and mm-hmm. cocoa and butter. Yep. And I've tried to make them myself and I can't do it. But Momo has them mastered. And um, if you can't get Momo's, then you can go kind of... They'll grab the golds in the grocery store or like them. And I go, I had one today. Yeah. And um, I love them. I eat them for breakfast sometimes. Me too, girl. Yeah, they're great. But they always take me back to Momo and at Christmas time in South Carolina because, you know, growing up in the South, food is like comfort. And Momo's Cocoa Puffs at Christmas time are always comforting. And it just made me happy. Hey, I'm Ryan Hall. I'm author of Run the Mile You're In. And my favorite Christmas memory was from Addis Ababa uh, four years ago in 2015. And that was the first Christmas that we uh, spent with our four adopted kids from Ethiopia. And we were in their orphanage and got to experience a traditional uh, Ethiopian Christmas with um, all the the meat and the, the festivities and popcorn and their special Ethiopian roasted coffee. So that was, that was definitely a memorable one. 